<laughs> if you've been around uh, Cornerstone the last couple of weeks, you know we've been in a teaching series called Three to Be, right? And um, basically, uh, we've kind of started this whole conversation out of the idea that um, we want Cornerstone to be not just the kind of church where people find Jesus, but the kind of church where people can learn to follow him. Those are two real different things, right? I mean, there's a difference between just finding Jesus and truly following after him and growing up in your relationship with him. And, and uh, to be honest, if you've been around, you know what incredible growth has happened around this place. I mean, who, who would have thought that 14 years ago when this thing started with a handful of people in an apartment that you know, today 6,000 people would be sitting here on a weekend. I mean, it's just, it's just been a crazy story where they went from that to building a building. And some of you guys were with us. We went from the student center over to here. And in the last three years, I mean, it's gone from 3,000 to 6,000. It's just been like crazy, crazy growth. And, you know, a couple weeks ago, Lynn even asked, you know, and by a show of hands, you know, how many of you guys found Jesus here at Cornerstone and started following him here? And literally 50% of the room, over half the people in this room, found Jesus here at Cornerstone and started following him here in this room. And, and so it's been a really, really, really special run. And as we started having this conversation about three to be, uh, one of the things that really drove this conversation for us is, is that, you know, when, when organizations and churches grow really, really quickly, um, sometimes we can forget about some things that need to happen along the way. And, and while we've been really successful at outreach, and that's something you've been around Cornerstone, you know, we're good at that. That's something that, that comes very natural to us here, and that's something that we've thought a lot about. The other side of it, the growing part of it, started to kind of creep up, and, and, and there was really a gnawing fear in some of the leadership here that, that we would potentially get to the point where we'd be a, a, a mile wide, but yet be an inch deep. Does that make sense? And so the last couple of weeks, Lynn's been up here, and he's just been really drilling down on, on you know, at Cornerstone with three to B. We're going to take this moment, and we're going to get drop-dead serious about growing up in our relationship with God, right? And, and so that's really what we've been, kind of been unpacking with this whole three to B thing. And, and we went so far as to when you came on campus today, there's new banners and all the, the light poles out there with three key words on them. And when you walk onto the campus, there's new signage everywhere. I mean, you can't miss it, right? It says three to B and has three key words on it. And, and uh, when, you know, when you walk in the lobby, there's a little twirly thing hanging up there with three to B and three key words on it. And there's t-shirts that you can have. And there's these Christian bracelets with three key words on them. And there's all kinds of Christian paraphernalia that you can have, keychains, <laughs> magnets for your refrigerators and all that stuff, with three to be all over it with three simple keywords. And we, we wanted to keep it simple because we wanted, when your wife wakes you up in the middle of the night and nudges you with those little elbows and she says, what's three to be? You could rattle off. It's worship, serve, grow, right? You, you would know really quick and really easy. And that's what it is, worship, serve, grow. They're, they're three words that mature believers have figured out how to get into their lives and embrace in their everyday life. And, you know, a couple weeks ago when we talked about worship, we said worship is basically putting God in his rightful place in our lives. In other words, that God, I'm going to think about you more. I'm going to orient my life more around you. I'm going to be more passionate about you than I am about my car or my house or the possessions that I have. God, I'm going to, I'm going to focus my life more around you. You're going to have preeminence in my life more than my girlfriend or, or more than my career. God, God my, my life is yours. And it's more than just kind of singing on a weekend. We said worship is putting God in his rightful place in our lives. And we talked about growth, you know, after that. And and we, we talked about uh, how life change happens best in the context of a relationship, right? And, and, and that, that we'll never get far enough fast enough just sitting in a purple chair on the weekend. 
You know, we, we talked about if all we ever do is come in here to church for one hour a week and, and sit in a purple chair and her, hear a sermon and, and participate in the worship and, and then leave, if that's all we ever do, we'll never end up looking like Jesus. That's just not enough. And so last week, literally hundreds of you guys signed up and took the plunge to get into some kind of growth environment. And you signed up to be a part of a men's group or a women's group or a small group with your spouse. I mean, tons of you guys were just signed up and saying, hey, I'm in. I'm not just going to come to worship, but I'm going to go a little deeper with God's word and God's people. And super, super cool moment. And a lot of you guys were a part of that. This week, as we start unpacking this whole issue of serve, uh, to be honest with you, for me, I think this is where the kind of the rubber meets the road. This is kind of a bit of a tipping point in this whole three-to-be conversation because for me, as I think about service, this is the one thing that doesn't come natural for us. Worship's natural. It is. Some of us worship all kinds of different things, but worship's natural. Growing, it's natural. Serving is not natural for us. It is not natural to put somebody else in front of us. You know, in the mornings when I'm driving in and I'm stopping by a Starbucks to grab a cup of coffee, it is not natural for me, for me to let somebody else get in front of me in line. You know, I'm out of my car and I'm jockeying for position in line. You know, I want my Starbucks. Get me in, get me out, get me to work. You know, when, when we're driving on the 10 or the 202 or the 101, when somebody cuts you off in the morning when you're on your way to work, it is not natural for you just to slow down and let them come in. It's not. It's natural for you to let, you, let them know that they're number one in your life, right? That... <laughs> Be honest. That's what's natural. You know, it, it's not natural to let somebody else have the last word in the conversation. It's not natural to let, to let your wife, you know, win the argument or let your husband win the argument. I mean, the reason you're arguing is because you think you're right. It's not natural to let somebody else win the It's not natural to work for somebody else in such a way that you set them up for a promotion or a bonus, right? It's not natural to let somebody else get the accolades that we think we deserve. It's not natural to let somebody have the last fry at In-N-Out, you know. At Christmas time, you know, when you're shopping for your kids and you're at Toys R Us and there's like one Zuzu pet left on the shelf or there's one like Tickle Me Elmo or Nintendo DS or whatever the hot Christmas toy is that year, it is not natural for you to say, oh, why don't you have that instead of me? It's not natural for us to let other people go first in life. It goes against the grain of, of who we are as people. If you're a parent, you know this really well. I mean, if, if you have kids, um, and for those of you who are married and you're thinking about having kids, this next piece of the conversation is birth control for you. So basically, if, if, if you, have kids, you have parents, you're going to relate to this because when you have a baby, they kind of come out kicking and screaming, right? And, and of course, they cry and, and you, they want to be fed, and so you feed them and they kind of get quiet for a little while, and then they cry again to let you know that they need their diaper changed. And so as a first-time dad, you're kind of cracking back the, the diaper with the gas mask on, and you're like doing the dry heaves over your kid. And you've been there. You know, I've done that myself. I still do that with Lincoln sometimes, our youngest. And so at 3.30 in the morning, you hear them crying and they wake you up in order to let you know they dropped a binky out of their crib, right? And so you go in there all groggy-eyed and you pick up that binky and you dip some super glue on it and you pop it back in there for them, right? <laughs> and then at 4.30, they cry again just to see if they can get you out of your room and into theirs. There's nothing really wrong. They just want you to know they're in charge, not you. You know, so this, it's just a thing of having a kid. Kids think life, life revolves around them. Kids think that, that we as parents exist to serve them. That, that, that's our role in their life. My son Lincoln, uh, he's just two now, and he's kind of at that age where they're starting to talk a bunch, and he's running around. 
And uh, he's starting to say all kinds of different little gobbledygook. And most of the time, it's really cute, right? When little kids start to learn to talk, it's sweet. And mom's sitting there saying, oh, say mama. And, you know, all that stuff. It's, it's one of those really tender moments, right? Lincoln's recently learned a new word. Um, it's a little word. I think he learned it from his mother. And uh, his, his older sister, Mia, learned it before him. And our oldest, Kennedy, learned it before her. It's a small word, but it's a powerful word. The word is no. And, and so now the conversation in the last couple of weeks in the Alexander house has shifted gears. And now it's like, hey, Lincoln, stop body slamming the dog. And it's, he stops for a moment and gives you this little look. And it's this real shrill little no, you know, kind of thing going on. Hey, Lincoln, stop hitting your sister with the Fisher-Price hammer. We got you for Christmas. And, he, you know, never stopping. He just kind of looks and says, no, you know. And, and then, hey, Lincoln, stop, stop, stop you know, get down off the table. Lincoln, stop playing dress up with your sister's, you know, Disney Barbie dress stuff. You know, we'll talk about that later when you get older. And he kind of looks at you dressed up like Cinderella and says, no, you know. And Lincoln, get that out of your mouth. Lincoln, don't do this. You know, Lincoln, the thing I'm trying to teach him right now, go change your own diaper. No, you know. Um, you know, Lincoln, you know what Lincoln gets? You know what, what's important to Lincoln right now? You know what Lincoln thinks life is all about? Lincoln. He does. That's what he thinks life is all about. I'm beginning to believe him because his two older sisters and his mom dote all over the little kid. And I mean, he's never going to get married. You know, so he's going to have to marry one of his sister's, you know, friends or something like that because, you know, just spoiled rotten by these ladies in his life. You guys get that, you know, what comes natural to us? It's us. That's what comes natural to us. And, and following after Jesus is a very, very, very different animal to that. In fact, why don't you do this? Why don't you open up your Bibles to Matthew chapter 20, and we'll, we'll talk about what Jesus has to say about following after him and this whole natural thing that you and I have going on, this, this born inclination that we have to think life is about us, because Jesus has something very different to say to us, of course. As you're getting there, I want you to know that while you and I have this built-in inclination to think life is about us, I want you to know, guys, you're not alone, okay? Those who were closest to Jesus fought about who was going to be first, okay? People who walked with him in the flesh and blood and hung out with the gay guy day in and day out struggled with this issue of putting self first. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 20. Uh, it says this, it says, Then the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, they came to Jesus with her sons, and she knelt respectfully to ask for a favor. What's your request, he asks. She replies, In your kingdom, will you let my two sons sit in places of honor next to you, one at your right and one at your left? Okay, so here's the picture. James and John, they've been walking with Jesus for about three years now. They've been around him. He's been their rabbi. He's seen, they've actually seen Jesus feed thousands of people, walk on water, calm a storm, turn water into wine, the whole deal. They've seen the whole thing up close and personal. They've had personal conversations with Jesus around a campfire that none of us even get to have a, a chance to even glean any of. They got to ask the guy all kinds of questions and just live life with the guy, okay? So here's the moment. James and John's busy body mom grabs their two boys by the hands and says, okay, boys, let's go talk to Jesus now. And they kind of go up to Jesus and she says, hey, Jesus, when you got your new kingdom thing going on, can you give my boys two really important jobs? Because my boys are unemployed and they'd really like to sit at your right hand and your left hand in your new kingdom. Can you do that? This, honestly, as I'm reading this, what goes through my mind, my mind I'm thinking of like single for a reason guy. 
You know the guy, he's a grown man, uh, has a career, but he lives in his mom's basement, right? And his mom's still cooking for him and doing his laundry and all that stuff like that. I'm looking at this thing. Can't the guys go, if they want to talk to Jesus, can't they go on their own? Mom, why don't you just like cut the cord, right? And, you know, it's a little frustrating for me as I read that. Ladies, I know it's more frustrating for you because you've dated guys like that, you know? You guys get that this whole natural inclination we have to be us first, that not only is it natural for us, this is something that's nurtured in us as well. I'm thinking about the way we spend our money, for example. The cars that we buy have a lot to do with the ch- how many children are in our life. The houses that we buy, whether it's a two-bedroom or whether it's a three- or four-bedroom house, has a lot to do with how many kids are in our life and whether we think they should all have their own rooms or whether they should have bunk beds or whether they should just all sleep on the floor in the living room. However we decide we want to slice that. But the way we spend our money, the way we spend our time, if you think about it, our children drive much of that for us. And we basically cast a vision in front of our children that says life is all about you. In fact, some of us even say it. You know, little Johnny, he's two years old or something like that, and we, just, we take him to the park and Johnny's sliding down the slide and we say stupid things like, oh, Johnny, you're the best little slider in the world. I'm so proud of you. Johnny's not the best slider. He's just heavy and you stick him up here and gravity works. You know, he just slides down the slide. And that's just the way it is. I mean, we, we say things to our kids like, you can do anything. I'm so proud of you. You can be the best and you're, you can be the pre-. No, he can't. No, he can't. You are lying to your children. You know, what your children can be is the very best Johnny they can be. They can be exactly who God's designed them to be, which is specific and unique to that little kid. But the messages we receive from society, from sports, from education, from work, tell us that life is all about us. So this is something that's natural for us, but it's also something that's nurtured in us. Let's pick it back up in in Matthew chapter 20 again. Verse 24 is where we're going to jump back into it here. Verse 24 says, uh, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You bet they were indignant. They were ticked. They didn't think about putting their mom up in front of Jesus first. Verse 25, but Jesus called to them and he said, you know that in this world, kings are tyrants and officials lorded over the people beneath them. In other words, leaders, CEOs, people who are in charge and have position and authority and power care more about their authority and position and power than they do about the people that are underneath them that they should be leading and serving. We've all seen leaders abuse power. In fact, most of us work for people like that if we're completely honest. And Jesus said, guys, verse 26, among you, it should be quite different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must become your slave. For even I, even I, the Son of Man, came here not to be served, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. Jesus flips this whole paradigm on its ear. And he's got two young guys that he's spent a ton of time with. They're basically arguing about who's going to be first. They're jockeying for position in the new kingdom that Jesus is going to lay out. These are people who walked closest with Jesus. These are people that saw the whole thing unfold, who heard his voice and felt the sun on their skin, that told stories and shared life together. If these are the people who are closest together, who knew Jesus best, How did they miss this? Because this isn't at the beginning of their time together. This is towards the end of their time together. The crucifixion's coming soon in this moment. How did they miss this? 
Because maturity isn't so much what you know or who you know in this sense. It's what you do with what you know. Maturity is not what you know. It's what you do with what you know. And here, I'll be honest with you. Here's my whole fear in this entire conversation we're having with free to be My entire fear in this whole series is, this, is what brings us to this moment right here. Because it is possible for you and I to buy into week one of free to be and say, dude, Lynn, I'm with you. I'm in. I'm going to start coming to worship on a consistent basis. We're going to put God in his rightful place in my life, and we're going to be con- committed to being here. Lynn, I am committed. I'm signing up for a growth group. I'm taking the plunge. I'm going to be committed to getting into God's word and get godly biblical habits in my life. I'm going to start growing up in my relationship with God. It's very possible for us to commit to those two things and still never be like Jesus Christ. It's very possible to have right theology, to have all the right Sunday school answers, to know all the right things, and still never look an inkling like our Savior. Scares me to death, to be completely honest with you. Most of you guys know I grew up in Northern Virginia near D.C., which is kind of funny. I was talking to my dad the other day. He's retired back east still. I'm like, hey, Dad, how's the weather out there? He's like, it's snowing again. You know, I mean, it's just like piling up out east, you know, and I'm like, oh, I feel so bad looking at the sunshine and the palm trees outside, you know, and we have a fun time going back and forth this time of year. Um, You guys get back east when I was growing up, when it got really cold like this, we'd go play in the woods Uh, out by D.C. There's, you know, beaver dams and all that stuff like that. And we kind of play poor kid hockey and just grab some sticks and some rocks and our sneakers and brush off the ice on the beaver dams. And we played hockey on the beaver dams. And eventually, you know, inevitably someone would fall through the ice. And they were, they were beaver dam ponds, so they were really shallow. So you don't have to worry about anybody getting underneath the ice. But, but because people fell through the ice playing hockey on those beaver dams, we found out really quick which beaver dams we should play on and which we shouldn't because there's two kinds of beaver dam ponds. There's the one kind where the water kind of comes in and out and it's clear and there's fish and the whole deal is going on. And that's the kind you want to play on because if you fall in, you get cold and wet, but that's all. The other kind is where water comes in and doesn't go out. And the beaver dams become silted in. And, and what happens in nature, it's natural for this to take place. It, it's, it's totally natural for water to come in. When it doesn't go out, it gets stagnant. And I don't know if you've ever seen stagnant water or not. It kind of gets like consistency of dirty used motor oil, and, and that's kind of the look of it. And it kind of smells like my son's diapers, so it's really gross smelling. So when you, when you fall in the ice, all of a sudden this odor comes up out of the ice. You know, it's just, it's gross. And, there, and there's things living in that stuff, some bacteria and parasites and stuff that you just don't want in your body. And so when, you know, when Johnny falls through the ice in that pond, you learn really quick, not the right kind of beaver pond to play on. You guys get that that's natural when there's stuff coming in, when we're going to worship every single week and we're taking in God's word and we're taking in God's word and we're taking in God's word and we decide we're going to take the plunge and get in a Bible study and we're taking in God's word and we're taking in God's word and we're taking in God's and we never do anything with it and we never serve and we never learn to put other people first. Our lives become stagnant and what makes me afraid is, is stagnant Christians make stagnant churches. My um, first church I was ever on staff at was a 
medium-sized church of 500, and those people loved one another really well. One of the things I li- really liked about being there is the people like legitimately really cared for each other. There was, there was deep intimacy and, and care and love for one another. They were having each other in their homes. They were hanging out with each other. They knew each other's names. In a smaller environment like that, you can actually know what's going on in everybody's life. And so there's some things about it that were really, you know, enamoring for Lisa and I, to be completely honest with you. But there's been people, they'd grown up together in the community, and they've been going to church together for years and years and years. I mean, there's been families in that church that have been in that church for generations, literally. And it was about 500 people for years before I came on staff. It's 500 people. Now it's about the same size. And, and these people, they were drop-dead committed to worship. I mean, they came to worship every single Sunday. Even on the holidays when you would think that attendance would be down a little bit, it was consistent. They, church was a priority for them. They were in their Bible studies week after week after week. It was a priority for them. Something happened with that church, though. The community began to change that they were in. What used to be a bit of a suburban environment changed and became, like a lot of cities, grow a more of an urban environment. And so the people that attended the church kind of moved further and further out into the suburbs, and they started just kind of driving back to the church and kept going to church together. And yet the church was still the same 500 people, even though the community around the church looked very different than the people that were in the building. Does that make sense? What the church forgot is that they weren't there for themselves. See, what comes natural to us, what comes natural to us is if you and I have a good friendship, we want to hang out together. I want to have you over to my house for dinner. I want to be able to have our kids grow up together and play together. I mean, if what comes natural to us is us being friends with one another and community with one another, and once we have that, what comes natural to us is, is, is walling off everybody else because I have what I need. I've got relational intimacy. I've got friendship. I don't, I don't need, you know, I, I don't know what you got, but I got what I need. And that what's, what comes natural to us is exactly what happened to that church. They forgot that a simple fact is that church is not for us. I've said this before. Church is not for us. We're the church, and we don't exist for us. We exist for people who don't yet know our Jesus. And they forgot that, and they did what comes natural to them, and that's to take care of one another. Guys, it is absolutely possible. It's probable for most Christians to go to church every single week, be committed to worship, be in a Bible study every single week, have right theology and all the right answers, and still never look like Jesus Christ because maturity is not what you know. Maturity is what you do with what you know. Flip over in your Bible to your right just a little bit. Let's see if we can land this conversation. Uh, Book of Ephesians, chapter 4. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians. Ephesians, chapter 4. We'll see if we can kind of finish this together. This is Paul writing to the church at Philippi. Excuse me, to the church at Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He says, He is the one, God, Jesus, He's the one who gave these gifts to the church. What are the gifts He gave to the church? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers. Those people are gifts that God gave to the church. Why? Verse 12. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do His work. Now, if you underline or circle or highlight anything in your Bible, underline, circle, or highlight that word in your Bible, His work. You're not going to go to hell for this. Just mark it in your Bible. Circle it. 
and build up his church, the body of Christ, until we've come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son that we will be mature. Circle that word. Now take a line and draw it between mature and his work. Full grown in the Lord, measuring up to the full stature of Christ. Because here you have in a couple of verses, Paul laying out for the church at Ephesus that there's no way you will ever be mature without doing his work. You, and there's no way you can ever be mature and look like Jesus Christ without serving and putting other people first. There's no way you'll ever look like your Savior and be conformed in the image of, his, of our Heavenly Father's Son without using your gifts and talents and abilities to build up the church and one another. And it's funny, this whole three to be thing, we've, we've been talking about this from day one. I mean, Lynn, were you guys here when Lynn wore the diaper on stage? Yeah, I mean, it's this ugly picture you can't get out of your head, right? You know, he'll get diapers on his desk till the day he dies out of that one. But it's this idea that, guys, three to be is about us growing up and being conformed in the image of, of Christ, and that does not happen with information. It doesn't. It happens with action and applying information. We can have all the right information we want and never, 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 never look like Jesus. One of the biggest misconceptions in a large, large church like Cornerstone is that they don't need me. You know what I mean? I mean, you drive on campus here, and there's people, like, waving you where to go, where to park, and parking attendants, and you're, you're just driving on. You're trying to think, do I, do I park in Mickey Mouse or Donald Duck, you know? And, and then you get on the tram, and there's people, you know, saying hey to you on the tram, and you get over here, and you, there's people smiling at you when you come in the church building, and you're kind of thinking, what's wrong? Do I have, like, salad between my teeth or something like that? And it, it, you drop your kid off, Right? And, and there's someone at the kiosk typing in and getting your kid all checked in and you kind of, you drop them off and you feel pretty good about it because you get a receipt, right? And you're thinking, I hope I get the right kid back when I turn the receipt in. And you guys, you come over here and you go to the, the cafe and you grab a latte or something like that and there's people behind the counter greeting you and smiling at you again. Again, it's kind of weird because, you know, no one really smiles that much throughout the week at you other than here at church and you kind of think there's something wrong again. And you kind of come walking in here and someone grabs you a magazine and says, man, I'm so glad you're here. And you grab a seat and the band comes out, and they're all volunteers as well, and the people running cameras are all volunteers as well, and the people backstage right now running all this stuff behind the scenes are all volunteers as well. And, and then you leave, and you think, dude, wasn't church great today? I didn't do a thing, you know? See, we've, we've fallen because what comes natural to us is us. We naturally think that church is for us. That's what's natural, guys. That's what's normal, problem is it doesn't match up with what Jesus had to say in Matthew chapter 20 very well. I had a conversation with the Volunteer Central this week. They told me that this week, this week, between now and next Sunday, over 1,200 people at Cornerstone will donate more than 3,000 man hours to make what happens here on a weekly basis happen. That's a lot of people serving, man. That's a lot of people giving a lot of hours and I, at first, I'm like, dude, that's, that's a really cool thing. That's, that's great. I want to share that with the church. And, and they said, wait, 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 Paul, you need to understand that right now our children's ministry and our, our student ministry, they're staffed at about 50%. In other words, we need 50% more people than what we have right now, 100% more people than we have right now. 
in order to have the kind of relationships we need with the children and students for life change to happen. Because remember, life change happens best in the context of a relationship, not from a stage. I said, okay, well, that's not very good. And then it hit me. There's over 6,000 people that show up here on a weekend. And only 1,200 of them are serving. I was like, wow. That means... There's 4,800 people that never get a chance to ever look like Jesus because they're not serving, because they come and they do what's natural. They think that life is about them, and so therefore church must be about me too, right? And this is my fear, I told you, that we'd buy into worship, we'd buy into grow, and then we'd do what comes natural to us after that and that's us. Guys, we have an opportunity to change the culture of Cornerstone right here and right now. We do. Because right here and right now, on your way out of here, you can swing by Volunteer Central. It's right out here to your right as you go out here, and you can say, hey, man, I want to volunteer. Sign me up. In your bulletin, you can pull that thing out right now and turn to the back of it. It has a little section that says, I want to volunteer. You can mark on there that you want to volunteer. You can even pick a place, turn it in the offering basket a little bit later, and they'll call you this week or email you this week and say, hey, let's talk. You can go by one of these ministry booths that are out there every single week on the patio, and you can stop by any time and say, hey, I'd like to get involved and serve. We're doing a Haiti offering on the way out of here today. You can get involved and participate in that offering for Haiti. Next Sunday, you can come, not prepared to come to church, but you can come prepared to be the church because we're going to cut our services short and we're going to send thousands of people all over the community to be the hands and feet of Jesus and do what we're talking about today. You can do this now. I mean, we can change the culture of a whole church in a moment by action by owning this moment and saying, you know what? I'm gonna do what comes unnatural to me. I'm gonna follow what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 20 and I'm gonna learn to put my needs behind those of others. I'm gonna learn to be a servant. I guarantee you, if we became that kind of a people, dude, the entire valley would be affected and changed because everybody else in the valley thinks life is about them. And if we could show them through the grace and love of Jesus Christ that it's not and that we exist for them and we exist to serve and love them, we'd change the entire valley and we'd do some serious damage for the kingdom of God together. God could rock the world with a church full of people like that. Let's pray. Father God, I just want to confess out loud to you in this moment God, I'm sorry. I am sorry that um, and there's moments in my marriage where, uh, man, I don't live to serve Lisa. That I think life's about me. There's even moments working at a church where I get so carried away just doing work that I forget that it's not about me. God, if I'm really honest, there's moments where I go down the checklist of my mind and I check off that I went to church and I check off that I did my quiet time. I check off that I did a Bible study with people. And I forget what you've called me to is a heart and an attitude and a posture of service. 
And if I'm really honest with myself this morning, God, I just, it's really hard for me to die to self each day. God, I know that if I wrestle with that, I imagine the people in this room wrestle with that just as much. So God, we ask in this moment, would your Holy Spirit, God, would we just give you the freedom to kind of poke and prod around in our lives as you need to, to point out anything to us that needs to change. Because desperately, Father, more than anything else, we want to be the kind of church that you've dreamt about, the kind of people that lay their lives down for others. God, would you do that in us? In Jesus' name we pray.